Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a good Tuesday morning to you and yours. We come your way from Hamilton, Ohio. This is Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. As some of you, many of you know, some may not, we come your way Monday through Friday each and every day, 10 a.m. to high noon. We ask you subscribe to the program. You can check us out on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. If you prefer to join us in podcast form, please do. Just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman, and you're dialed in. So here we go. The 1972 Miami Dolphins can rest easy this morning. There will be no undefeated team in the National Football League this season. After the shocker last night, the Washington Commanders, a.k.a. the Washington Football Wizards, beat the previously unbeaten Philadelphia Eagles last night 32-21. After recording three turnovers in their first eight games, all wins, the Eagles turn it over four times last night. Now, in fairness, officiating did not help. The Commanders got away with a blatant face mask, which led to a fumble in the fourth quarter. And the Commanders go on to win it. Philly now 8-1. and one. And don't look now, boys and girls. But the Washington Commanders are 5-5, five and five, one spot removed from the final playoff piece in the NFC. The Bengals continue preparations for their Sunday 4-25 kick in Pittsburgh. The team announced some good news yesterday. And we told you right as uh, we were going off the air. Starting tackle DJ Reader, who tore his MCL in two places against the Ravens going back to early October has been cleared to practice. Now, that doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to play in the game. They'll see how practice goes this week. Cincinnati has opened as an early five-and-a-half-point favorite. Does it get any bigger than tonight? Maction as a red-hot Ohio University Bobcats go up to Muncie, Indiana to take on Ball State. The Cats have ripped off five straight wins, and they sit atop the Mac East with two games to go in the regular season. Casey McAllister, Paul Fritschner, does it get any bigger than Maction when the Bobcats are on? No, that means that it is that time of the week, Tom. Ohio University playing football. I'm surprised you don't have your, your Ohio hoodie on or anything like that. I have it on over there. I took it off. You're I wore it last week. I wear it the day after victories. I was going to say, you're waiting till Victory Wednesday. We'll have it on Victory Wednesday tomorrow, and who knows? Who knows? Maybe we're stunned tonight when the college football playoff rankings come out. Perhaps the Ohio University Bobcats will be in that top 25. Put them in. They should be in there ahead of Oregon. (laughs) And UCLA, I'll tell you that. OU's no fraud. In baseball, Atlanta's Michael Harris II edges teammate Spencer Strider for the National League's Jackie Robinson Award winner. That is the National League Rookie of the Year. Over in the American League, no surprise at all. I mean, the dude won the home run derby, led his team to the playoffs. Mariners star Julio Rodriguez gets 29 out of 30 first-place votes to win it in the American League. Look, the kid in Baltimore had a great year, the catcher. Oh, Adley Rutschman. I mean, but, but, but come on. How does how – do, and I don't know what writer voted for him, and God bless him, I hope he has an incredible career. 
But come on. I mean, come on. 29 out of 30 vote for the guy. It should have been 30 out of 30. Did you see the Yasiel Puig story? Right up your alley, Paul. (laughs) He has agreed to plead guilty to a federal charge of lying to law enforcement officials about sports bets that he made with an illegal gambling operation. Now, Puig was in the hole almost $300,000. Listen to this. He made 900 bets. Tennis, football, basketball, no baseball. That's not the deal here. Over a three-month time frame. It's not right up my alley because he's losing. I'm not losing. He should have been listening to you. Yeah. Obviously. Should have, yeah, he should have been listening to Not Too Picky. <laughs> Apparently paid back 200 of the 289 I think he owed. I'm sure he's settled up by now, now that all this mess has happened. I tell you, he was a fun guy to be around. I mean, he's got a gambling problem. He's got a gambling problem. That's for somebody else to be judge and jury of. But uh, I really enjoyed being around a guy the year he played for the Reds. Do we really think tennis, football, and basketball are the only sports he bet on? 899 bets in three months. Well, especially when you consider that they said it was during July, August, September. Last time I checked, there's not a lot of football being played in July and August. Unless he's a big CFL guy. Who knows? College Hoops, you'll be down there tonight, right, Paul? I will. Xavier hosting Fairfield. That's at the Cintas Center. Indiana comes to town this weekend. Is that Friday night? Friday night. Friday night. That'll be a big one. And number 21, Dayton, plays at UNLV. All right. Who's in the – we got hundreds, if not thousands, that have already joined us here today. The real spirit cat is back. Uh, Got a a message uh, from Cincinnati Sports with Strawberry Ice. He's asked me to be on his podcast. All right. I'm happy to do it. I sent him a message and said I'd be happy to do it. Uh, Coming up on the program today, we have Brian Billick. That's in a matter of minutes. We have Paul Dougherty to talk about the Pete Rose thing. If you didn't see it, Pete Rose, for the second time, has sent a letter to Rob Manford, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, asking for forgiveness. This goes back to 1989. He would like to be on the Hall of Fame ballot, is what Rose is asking. When you consider in this country, and this is not an exaggeration in any form or fashion, when you consider in this country that we are allowing murderers and rapists and armed robbers, and the list goes on and on and on, that have not served nearly the amount of time that Pete Rose has served, if you look at it as a sentence, and that's what it is, He's been sentenced to a lifetime banishment of baseball. I mean, when do we have some forgiveness in our hearts? Okay? When does that happen? Okay. And also Tracy Jones comes up at 1130. But right now it's time to check in on the National Football League with our main man, Brian Billick. Brian, were you hunkered down watching a ton of football over the weekend? If so, did anything jump out at you? Well, you know, obviously we're at that point because we're just passing the midway point where 
the die is cast to a certain degree that we kind of know who teams are. And, and, but then you see a team like Washington beat Philadelphia, an undefeated Philadelphia team. And that to me just kind of sums up where the entire league is right now that, that anybody can kind of beat anybody. I don't know that there's an absolutely dominant. I know Kansas city is really, really good. The fact that the Bills lost to the Vikings in the way they did at home, and I think the Bills are really, really good and going to be there when you know when the bell rings, so to speak, uh, for the playoffs. But I, I, I think there were a couple games that just said, you know, the, uh, the Cowboys going up and losing to a Packer team, all but in Lambeau, but it's a Cowboy team that was playing really, really well and a Packer team that was not. So it just – what the games told me this year or this last weekend was – Anybody can beat anybody. I, I want to ask you a little bit about um, the Eagles' loss last night. Um, are you in the camp, Brian? And, and look, you took teams to the playoffs. You won a Super Bowl as a head coach, all those kinds of things. And, you know, there are some that make the argument that when you're 8-0, coaches can find things that the team is not doing particularly well. But when you're winning each and every week, maybe that message doesn't necessarily get through. I'm not suggesting that losing is a good thing, but sometimes for a coaching staff to sort of zero back in the focus, can a loss be a good thing? Well, by nature, human nature, it's no, loss never serves any purpose. But having said that, and I will say that the thing that concerns you as a coach when you're eight no, to a certain degree, emotionally a little bit different, is the same thing if you're on eight. What's stealing the focus of my team? And when you have those two extremes, obviously, if you're an 0-8, it's the wolves at the door and all the noise that's going on. 8-0, same way. Oh, the noise at the door, and we're going to the Super Bowl, and it's all this, that, and the other. To hold that at arm's length is, is, um, is hard, and it's very, very real. Now, to be 8-0 and to take on that challenge, and yeah, you, you love that. But having lost the game now in the division against Washington, you know, I don't know that I, that would be the one I'd choose. Right. But the year we went 15 and one with the Vikings and we lost to Tampa Bay in the division. Um, it served its purpose in the sense that all that noise about, are you going to be an undefeated team went away? And, and that's not good or bad. It's just, yes, it is noise and it's unavoidable and you don't have any control of it because everybody's going to be talking about it. Um, so in that regard, yeah, uh, plus kind of brings your team back to, hey, guys, shows you just what I said opening the show. Anybody can beat anybody. And if you don't recognize, I, I've said this for a long, long time. It's been written a million times. Founding fathers of this game, the bet, 60 minutes isn't long enough for the best team to win. 60 minutes is just long enough for the team that plays best to win. And that's what you're always selling your team on. We've got to play well because even though we're a better team, the nature of the league right now and the way this game is formatted, um, you, you've got to play at your best. You're only playing 17 games. This isn't like even in, in Major League Baseball or in basketball, when you get through the playoffs even, the best team usually wins because it's going to be three out of five or five. You know, it's, it's going to be a yeah. series. But in the NFL, boy, it's, it's one. And so it, uh, it underlines for that team. Boy, every week, that's what's why I love the intensity of the NFL compared to some other sports. Not that they're bad, but it's it's uh, that intensity and that steely-eyed focus of guys, anything can happen, is, is very, very real. All right, walk me through now, if you're the coach in Washington. 
Ron Rivera is an excellent football coach. There's no debate about that. I mean, the story and the emotion after the game last night, after he had lost his mom, uh, he could barely get through a, a, a five-word sentence just thanking his team and the game ball after the game. I, I love Ron Rivera. I know him a long, long time like you have. Um, but all the chaos going on in Washington, there has been chaos and there's been tension and there's been all kinds of things like that during the entire tenure of the Daniel Snyder ownership. But things have certainly escalated here now in the last month and a half, two months. How much of that noise, to borrow your word, trickles down to the coach, trickles down to the players, or are you able to just say, forget it, no problem? Well, the, the coaches and the players say, no, I don't focus on it. I'm not listening to it. But that, no, of course you do. I mean, if, if, if you were in the facility and practicing 24-7, maybe. But you have lives. You go home at night. You stop and pick up the groceries. You go to the, the laundry. Uh, I mean, you, 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 you live your life, you know, when the radio was on. Or you may not be hearing it, but your wives are hearing it at the grocery store or your kids are hearing it at school. So it's ever present. And, and it's, I've always, like I always tell my teams, every second that we're not focused on beating our opponent, we're, we're, we're not as good. We're, 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 we're working the other way every second, every minute, every hour. So with all this other noise going on, uh, it can't help but draw on you emotionally. You question about the future going forward. You're right, for, for Ron Rivera, it just underlines, just again, people gotta remember, these are human beings. Ron Rivera, dealing with all that he's dealing with with the organization, a team that's at 500, going on the road to playing an undefeated team in the division, along with his personal circumstance and his mother, just, just imagine the emotion that you're having to fight through to keep your focus. Justin Fields, the last two weeks, uh, he has just been unbelievable to watch. Um, you know, look, I, I'm not going to start drawing comparisons to him and Lamar Jackson. Lamar's been doing it longer. Uh, I'm not going to draw comparisons to Michael Vick because he had a great career and, and so on and so forth. But when you watch Justin Fields, as a guy who great offensive mind, evaluate quarterbacks, you've watched guys come into the league. How do you view Justin Fields as a quarterback? You know, he's he's. Uh, uh, how would you view him if he weren't from Ohio State? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he and, and you look at uh, uh, Jalen Hurst. You know, again, Lamar Jackson, kind of. You know, that kind of player. Uh, and for all that we've talked about Lamar Jackson, can he really beat you from the pocket? But he's so dynamic outside the pocket. Um, it, to me, Justin Fields is a work in progress. He is showing signs. Now, the other night at Detroit, he was only 12 of 20 um, for 100. Now, two touchdowns intercepted. He played He played okay. Um, Jalen Hurts has been playing very, very well. Both of them are a little bit different in that they're not quite the explosive, truly unique talent outside the pocket that Lamar Jackson is. I think both are better throwers from within the pocket than Lamar Jackson. Um, so both he and Jalen Hurst, I think it's it's still a work in progress. But for Justin Fields, it's okay. We're you know we're kind of getting there. You know, Bill Walsh always we talked about this before, Tom. Bill Walsh always felt like by the twenty fourth or twenty fifth start, you know if a guy is a guy or not. And it may get there before then, but if it's not there by then, so you're basically saying a season and a half. 
if he's not there by then, don't know that it's there. So we're coming up on a point on Justin Fields where, okay, maybe maybe we can have, we have enough body of work to say, yes, he can make this work. He can be that guy. Um, it still comes back to whether it's Lamar or Fields or Hurts, can they beat you from the pocket to win a championship? That that remains to be seen. But certainly, Justin Fields, the arrow certainly has got to be pointing up. Last thing I want to ask you about, did, did, did you see or read about uh, in the college game, did you see or read about the decision that was made in the Oregon game against Washington? You know what I'm talking about on the fourth down play? What was that? Okay, so Oregon and Washington are tied at, at uh, I think it was uh, 31-31. doesn't matter what the score was. They were tied. Oregon has the ball. Now, here's a team that's ranked sixth in the country. They're knocking on the door of the college football playoff. They have the ball with under three to go on a fourth down from their own 34-yard line, their own 34 in a tie game on the road. They have their starting quarterback, Bo Nix, who's on the sideline. He's not even in the game. They decide to go for it on fourth down from their own 34. Needless to say, they don't get it. Needless to say, Washington takes over, scores, and wins a game. And Oregon's now D-U-N, as we like to say, done in the college football playoff. It all comes back, Brian, to this analytics thing. And look, I know that people yell and scream at me all the time for not being all in on analytics in baseball. George Will had the greatest line I've ever heard when he was on the radio with me one day. He said, analytics is the best thing that ever happened to the hitter. It's the best thing that ever happened to the pitcher. And it's the worst thing that ever happened to the sport. Some of these decisions that are based on analytics, Brian, I got to tell you, I, I have a hard time understanding it. You're a smarter guy than me. Can you try and explain it? Well, the analytics, again, and we've talked about it many, many, many times. The analytics are a helpful tool. But at the end of the game, particularly in a game like football, which is less statistic dominated than a team, say, uh, than a sport like baseball. But in football, yeah, the analytics are a helpful resource. But at the end of the day, you have to use your institutional gut experiences to say no i don't think i know the analytics say go because the problem with the analytics is that they're they're absolutely true over an entire field of work not necessarily in an isolated case and you're going to pay the price for that isolated case you know it's like the uh you know the the statistic that that uh, uh what there, the, there's average of 2.7 kids per family in, in the country now that's a statistical fact but in practical application, it's 100% wrong because nobody has a 0.7 kid, right? So the point being that the analytics can be helpful in terms of the approach you want to take, in terms of, okay, can I be confident and then over the course of an entire season, I'm going to win this more than lose. But in terms of that isolated instance, now you can make the case for Oregon, just like you said, you're on the cusp of maybe a, a, a playoff uh, or into the championship series. You got to go get that. And I believe that was at home, was it not? No, uh, it, uh, they were on the road at Washington. Oh, okay. Well, on the that, road? was that game at home or was that a game on the road? I think it was at Oregon, wasn't it? Yeah, at Oregon. So yes, they were at home. So you make those you make those decisions a little bit based on how hard is it win on the road? And how has the game been going? How has my offense been doing? Did they fake punt it? How did they go for it on fourth down? 
with through a pass, and they and you know and they don't get it, and so you know the whole thing falls apart on them. And I just don't I, I, look. If you want to go for it, okay, even though I would say you're out of your mind, but if you want to go for it, I, I just yeah. you know I, I I don't understand it. I mean, why not in the college game because you know each team is going to get the ball and have a chance right. to score, and right. so why not take your chances in that? Then handing the ball over to the other team at the thirty-plus yard line, they get two first downs, and the game's over. Particularly at home, I would agree with you. That says, "Hey, those are in our favor." Now you make a little bit different decision on the road. Well, look, we're on the road; it's tougher. How has the game gone? Now, what are my chances of doing that and winning in overtime? Maybe you, maybe you're a little more aggressive on the road to try to steal that situation than you need to be at home. Same as going for two points. So that those all go into it, and those are conversations that you have during the course of the week. You don't just, you know, get to the thing going, yeehaw, let's go. Yeah. I mean, those are conversations as a staff, particularly when you're on the road. Okay, what about two-point? What about onsides? What about trick plays? When and where are we going to use these? Do we need that? And so you want to be prepared for it because you don't want to really make that decision at the time. That needs to be thought through ahead of time. And as we always say, it's always through the prism of, of yeah. does it work? You're a genius. It doesn't. You're the village idiot. Had they gotten that and gone on and sealed it, it, boy, what an aggressive, great, love it. You know, we just talked about Ron Rivera, R Riverboat Ron, you, who, who developed that reputation. I'm going to go for it in these situations. Well, we did the game against the New York Giants, you'll remember, when Ron Rivera was about to get fired. And they were playing the Giants. Yep. They uh, they uh, uh, had a bye week, and, and I, I sat and visited with the owner at length. And Ron was gone, okay, if he didn't win. And, but he, you know, I think it was a fourth down play or something like that that they went for. And then it just kind of took on its own life. So, yeah, you, you got to be that way. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the, the analytics are excellent tool if you last long enough. <laughs> All right, last question. Casey McAllister, our producer, had a quick question for you, Brian, based on something you said. Yeah, so, Brian, um, you mentioned that any team can win on any given Sunday. And that kind of stood out to me because – I've thought that for a while now, going back to the early 2000s when I was just watching football, it always seemed like teams were in it all the time in the NFL. It's got great parity. Has it always been like that? Has it always felt like any team can win on any given Sunday? Or is that just a new sort of phenomenon in this no. time and age? No, it's it's been real through the ages, but more so, I think, this year in that I think the league clusters much closer together than it has in a while. And it changes from one year to the next. You know, typically, I'm Bill Walsh. Again, I keep going back to my mentor, Bill Walsh, but said, you know what? There's only about five teams that are really going to can win this thing because the others are going to screw it up at some point, whether it's ownership, management, coaches, whatever. So it's really only about five teams in a given year. And I don't know that that's the case now, but – but and there's always been it's always been a fairly homogeneous league with some outliers, a couple really good teams, a couple really bad teams, and we still have that. But I think the teams that are clustered together, one game above or below 500, there's more of them. We have more good quarterback play than we've had, so that changes it. So from that regard, yeah, I think at least it doesn't mean it can't change back. But this year in particular, like I said to start the show. What this weekend told me would underline that more so than maybe any year I can remember, uh, this thing's clustered together. And I don't know that I would put my paycheck 
I'd put Tom's paycheck on it, but I wouldn't put my paycheck on it. Well, that's not what it used to be, so you're not gambling a hell of a lot there. On any any saying, absolutely, this team, yeah, Kansas City's good. Miami looks, Baltimore looks to be good. The Bills we know are good. Philadelphia looks really good. Uh, uh, Seattle, Washington, or excuse me, Minnesota, we have to say, yeah, Minnesota's good. We've been waiting for the shoe to drop on that. Uh, but – but I right now bet anything on anyone saying this is going to be even just the AFC or NFC championship team, or oh, I, I wouldn't do it with a whole lot of conviction because I think it's it's clustered in here pretty good. I know the last thing, and then I'll let you go. Last thing I want to ask you about. We saw it in the Buffalo game where the guy did not make the catch. They were under two minutes. That's supposed to belong to the replay officials to check that thing out. Last night, I mean – I. Stevie Wonder could have seen, in my opinion, uh, that, that face mask penalty. The guy gets face mask. He's being dragged to the ground, ends up fumbling for Philadelphia. A huge play in the game. It was a three-point spread at the time. Um, Brian, I, you know, I, I mean, look, the, you know as well as anybody, you've forgotten more about this uh, than I'll ever know or the rest of us will ever know. I mean, these are people's livelihoods depending on this kind of stuff. If you're winning and losing games, I know it's not life and death, but it, 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 people's futures are being determined by this. How in the world, with all the great stuff the league has done in regard to its officiating and so on and so forth through the year, how in the world do you not stop and take a breath and look at that play? Let's use the Buffalo play from the other day. That was not a catch, and they don't tie the game. Yeah, that you would think that particularly with the technology and the way we've got going, you know, there are certain things that are challenged that is like the face mask is that's not challengeable. Is it? Uh, I so don't that, think so. So that, that goes back to the argument. Should we, and we have the technology now we've got, we've really come along to where you can almost instantaneously see, is it a catch? Is it not a catch inbounds out of bounds? They cross the plane officials on the uh, field, get it to a certain degree upstairs. Now I add the different perspective, just like we see, you know, me and I love tennis. That, you know, we can make instantaneous calls, instantaneous and just a, you know, just a millimeter, just the slightest bit of difference in or out. We can do that with this game. Does that go then into the frame of do we look at a challenge or let the replay officials, if they see something, change the course of the game on every call, holding, non-holding that? That's that's a little dangerous to go down. The, the ball bouncing in, yeah, absolutely. That guys, that's what the system's built for. How do you how do you not get that? But the face mask, holding, not holding, pass interference, not pass interference. That one you want to be careful with. We may be going down a slide a slope there, a slippery slope that you kind of go, geez, we just let's okay, let's just do away with let's just do Madden. Let's just computerize the whole thing, and we'll have some guy in a back room create the entire season. It'll be great fun. We'll follow it, you know. And and uh, there's a there's a human element in it that I think you want to be careful about removing it totally. Yeah. All right, Brian. Thanks as always for your insight. Thank you for your time, my friend. Have a great rest of your day. All right, man. Well, that's great stuff. Getting his uh, his thoughts on so many of these topics. Um, the, you know. Bill Belichick never comes out, never comes out, and jumps on the officials. Now, the Patriots were off this week. And I don't know if you guys saw the story or not, but clearly Belichick watched the Buffalo game, Minnesota game, and a throw was made, I think it was to Davis along the sideline there. 
clearly uh, it was not a catch. My understanding is, uh, is that under two minutes, the game belongs to the replay officials. Someone could have jumped in there and said, hold on a minute. Coaches are not allowed to challenge under two minutes, even if they have a challenge flag left. And all Belichick was suggesting was, look, we got to go back to the drawing board on this, and this is all done in the offseason by the rules committee, competition committee. They sit down and give this a lot of thought. You'd be amazed at how much time they spend on the, the most minute, intricate detail as it pertains to officiating a football game. You've got executives on there. You've got a number of coaches that are on there. You've got general managers that are on there, and obviously the officials uh, that are involved in that conversation. But when Belichick comes out and says something, you may not like Belichick. You might love Belichick. But he's the greatest coach in the history of the league. When he has something to say about it, I'm listening to what he has to say. Agreed. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a good answer for this. Um, just kind of like what Billick said, there's a human element to it. There's, there's a, something that you just don't want to take away from it. Um, because it goes both ways. I mean, some games don't don't come down to their outcome based off of one call. And, I mean, you change a whole course of history just based off of certain events not being reviewable or reviewable. Or... Yep. So, to me, it's, it, it's a very tough, fine line to walk. I don't know what the answer is. I'm not, I'm not the expert, and I'm not going to sit up here and act like I know a good answer for it. But the way that it's set up now doesn't seem like it is the best and efficient way to to uh, call a football game fairly. It, it just isn't because that one play changes the whole outcome of the game. I mean, and kind of like what Lure Up said here, when penalties and stuff go unnoticed it just makes the player want to do it more so they don't get like they're not going to get caught in a situation like that so kind of like the pass interference thing they're going to let stuff go they're going to let the guys play so the guy is going to hold on to the jersey or he's going to get up in the guy's face on the deep fade route or something like that and it's not going to get called stuff like that is it's just like inconsistent there's too much well, I, th I think when you have men that are running this fast and are this big and strong, I'm with Brian on this one. You know, th th there's got to be a line there. You can't be going back. And, I mean, pass interference, th that's the best example of all. Because there is always contact. And I know there are rules, five yards off the line of scrimmage, all that kind of thing. But if all of a sudden you start in the last – uh, whether it's during the whole game, like oftentimes they have in college football, or whether it's in the NFL, you implement rules where all of a sudden you can start, you know, uh, reviewing a face mask or reviewing a holding, offensive holding, defensive holding, pass interference. Those games would be four and a half hours long. Right. <laughs> but under two minutes of the game, like he said, whether or not a guy made a catch, whether or not the guy made a catch in bounds or out of bounds, those seem to me pretty elementary that you can get correct. Yeah. And I think also, like, slowing down the game when there's two minutes left is actually probably a pretty good business idea anyways. 
because it gives the audience more of a anticipation, more of like a, you know, that, that effect of it's coming down to the wire. Well, no doubt that that the same example that we were using about the kicking last week or not last week, just yesterday, we were talking about whether or not we should get rid of kicking on the box lunch because it just seems ridiculous. You mean like kickoffs? No, Reed's Reed's idea is to eliminate every kicker, punting, kicking, kickoffs, everything from the sport. Regardless of that take, kicking adds an element of excitement and anticipation and drama Whereas, like, officials, I feel like, are too afraid to make a call or to review something when it's coming down to the wire because it can be so game-altering. Like, one... Sure. So it's like human if they, nature. Yeah. So, like, if they, if they messed up on... Or if it's something like a fumble, they called a fumble on the field, and they go to review it with under two minutes left, and there's not enough evidence to see that it was a fumble or not... And, you know, it's too, it's too muddy to really make a judgment call. Then why is he making it on the field to begin with? You know what I'm saying? So well, like some mean, of those you know, things they, are they, like, they have the call on the field and I think it's 90 something percent that unless there is irrefutable, I think that's a word evidence that says the call on the field is incorrect. They rarely ever turn them over. Um, they rarely ever do. And, and that's where you get into the whole thing. Um, which, you know, look, network television has said for years, and the college game does this, but the pro game, all the money they have, they went to all the owners in the NFL. And there was a time that the Browns voted against this, the Brown family, where network television wanted to have every single team in the league pay for cameras on the pylons in the end zone, but it would be at the team's expense. Overwhelming majority, but apparently not enough. Maybe it had to be 75% or whatever it was at the time. Um, it didn't pass. So what you get is when you've got uh, Sunday night football and NBC comes in and does one game a week, this isn't Fox or CBS on a Sunday where when everybody's playing and there's no bye week, uh, one network will have seven games on a Sunday and the other network will have six games on a Sunday. So you're sending out and spending tens upon tens upon millions of dollars to go in and try to do your best, even if it's the worst game in the league, in presenting that game to the fans of the NFL, king of the jungle. But on a Sunday night game or on Fox's main 425 game or like the Bengals, I don't know if they're the featured game. I know they're at 425, but I don't know if they're the featured game or not. I don't know if Nance and Romo are doing that game. I wouldn't think so. No, it's, it's Gumble. Okay. But you know the point I'm making here yeah. is. Okay. So, like, it will be when they play the Bills down the road if they keep winning, blah, blah, blah. Is that you're not going to get the same number of replay looks on critical fee- plays in a game when it's the number four, five, six, seven game on the totem pole that you're going to get in the top two games. Yeah. The only, only the top games do you see the sky cam. Yeah. That's not for every NFL game. It's a difference of like six or seven cameras, if I can remember. It's a big difference. Yeah, it's a huge difference. Replay machines as well. Yeah. Big difference. So, you know, look, um, 
you, you can make the argument that, 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 that don't complain and moan and whine if your organization is one of those that is not going to do certain things, doesn't cure all, but certain things to make sure. And I mean, what's more important than goal line plays? Right? How have we not figured this out? In the one of the it's biggest money. It, in the biggest sports organization in this country that dwarfs every other sport, how have we not figured out a way to put a microchip or something in the tip of a ball or something, a, a red-eye laser across the goal line? How in the world is it the year 2022 and we got Wi-Fi signals in caves in the Middle East and we can't figure out how to determine whether a touchdown is a touchdown Believe me, the technology is there. I have seen when I, all the years doing the NFL and Fox would come in and they've got these technology guys that have all this stuff going on. But when you start Paul playing around and look, ultimately to do something like that, you have to put something inside of the football. Top golf, they did it. Well, okay. <laughs> but you know what I'm getting at here. I, I do. So all I do. of a sudden, you know, you start playing around now with the ball. And I'm not smart enough to figure all that stuff out. I mean, I don't know if, if putting some kind of tiny little chip, it's like a, you know, like in the Bible, some mustard seed size, yeah. thing, right? Okay. It, does that change anything? The aerodynamics of the ball, the flight of the ball, the weight of the ball. Any of those kinds, I have no idea. And it would be the same for everybody across the board, clearly. But, you know, when you start talking that, and ultimately that's where you would have to get, I think, to determine whether or not balls cross the goal line when you've got this mass cluster of people. It's not like tennis, where all of a sudden the balls hit, and like Brian made reference, you know, you've got this thing that can tell whether or not it, it caught part of the line or whatever. That's a ball that's isolated in space. There's nobody around it to block the view. You can figure that out. But in football, you'd have to put something in the ball itself. And, and the other thing, too, is it probably doesn't necessarily work because if you throw a pass to the end zone, then the chip's going to start going. It, it, there, like, there's things that you'd have to iron out to figure that out. But you're, I just it's unfathomable to me that we are sitting here in 2022 with all of the technology in the world that we have, and we're still trying to look at two or three pixels here and there to see, oh, is that is that the nose of the ball or is that somebody's is that somebody's arm sleeve? What are we doing? Well, and, and you know what, I feel terrible, and and I know there are a lot of people, and you know, look, maybe some of you are in this this uh, boat. I can't stand it when people sit around and just beat up officials. I can't stand it. More times than not, it's an excuse or multiple excuses. It really is. But, but look, while these athletes have gotten bigger, stronger, faster, okay, game's gotten more violent. I mean, it is in the – I mean, these are guys my age that are out on the field trying to do all this stuff or guys in their 40s by the time they – they, they reach all the criteria to get consideration to be uh, an official in the National Football League. Many times it's 10, 15, 20 years in the college game. And now all of a sudden, they're getting a chance to go to the NFL. Um, you know, they're not getting bigger, stronger, and faster. They're not. 
And so I, I just, you know, the, the, the guys that, that, that kill the officials, you know, I mean, save that for somebody else's space, not on our chat, because more times than not, it is a straight excuse for your team getting their tail kicked in every sport. Except for when Xavier plays home games and the best big man on the other team has three fouls in the first 10 minutes. That's just good strategy. <laughs> Will that happen to Fairfield tonight is the question. Do uh, have a good big man? Fairfield plays a, a weird half-court game. They're the best team, uh, best team of the, the three bye games so far, but okay. eh, they're not much. Okay. Right, Stags. We're, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back, talk about some other things going on in sports. Uh, apparently, it was news to uh, Paul Fritzner that they gave away the National League and American <laughs> League Rookie of the Year awards yesterday. Yeah, I saw the, the rest of those, you know, are coming this week, right? You're no, I do know. That? I do know that. The I Cy do know Young, yes. the MVP, all that stuff. Well, I was wa I saw the MLB network yesterday and they were going on and on about the rookie of the year. And then I just I got so distracted last night. I had three shows I was doing last night. And then I walked in this morning to do your uh, to do your monologue. And I go, oh, I, I just blew right over my head. My guy, Adley, just not your guy, Adley, though. Your guy, Julio. My guy, Julio. I mean, I, I mean, come on, come on. We, 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 oh, you know, I'm, I worked with Adley last year. And I'm not taking anything away from the kid. I mean, and that's a demanding, it the is. most demanding position by far in the field. He had a phenomenal year. But you can get a second place vote there. This kid in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, and he helped lead his team to the playoffs. Baltimore yeah. almost got there. They had a great year. Nobody saw that coming. And, and that kid was a big reason why. But the kid in Seattle... Deserved every first place vote. Anyway. Shohei win MVP? It's got to be Aaron Judge, right? Yeah, it'll be Judge. It'll be Judge, but I, I would give it to Shohei. Because you would? I, I would. I okay. Would. I Why? Would. I would. Because he has done something that is so incredibly unique to the actual sport and game itself. That, I mean, there's nobody else on the planet that can do it. Do you think? There are other guys capable of hitting. There are other guys. They didn't do it. So it's a moot point. There are a lot of guys hitting a lot of home runs. There's no one on the planet that is playing in the field four or five days a week and then coming out to start the game on the mound and dominating people every fifth day. There's only one cat in the world doing that. That's it. I mean, there's, That's a, why. there's a legitimate conversation in eight or ten years if he keeps this up that he's the greatest player of all time. Well, I mean, that's a long time to go for a pitcher without having some kind of serious injury. And, you know, you hope and pray that doesn't happen with him. But, but what this guy's doing is just it's insane. So how much stock, Tom, do you put into the MVP and the team that they play on? Well, I have always been a proponent, and my answer to this question is going against what I normally believe. I think if your team gets to the playoffs – um, and, and, and you have a, obviously a huge, if you're going to be in the MVP conversation, you have a huge part of your team going to the playoffs. And I just made this argument for the kid in Seattle, Rodriguez. Um, I can understand. I have no problem with Judge winning it. None whatsoever. I'm not going to sit around and, 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 and get all worked up about it because I really, at the end of the day, I really don't care. Do you care? Who wins the American League MVP? <laughs> not in the absolute slightest. Casey, I know you don't care. No, absolutely. Because you not. were asking us, who is this guy named? What did he say? Oh, I didn't I want. Said, I, I didn't said, want to air him out. I said, Puig. I wasn't going to say it on the air, but since you brought it up, yeah, it 
Casey. Pewig. Pewig. I was just trying to do the, the sound out sort of thing, you know, try to... Yeah, instead of Puig. Instead of Puig, yeah. <laughs> That's your Puig. 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 Okay. All right, we're going to take a break. We're back with more Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers in a moment. want to thank you guys for getting out yesterday. For those of you that may not have seen it, uh, you guys handle all the uh, social media for uh, this program. And uh, we are really excited tomorrow. Now, this will be at 11.15 Eastern Time. We're going to be joined by the manager of the world champion, Houston Astros. We do the big interview every single Wednesday. And tomorrow, it's a big interview. Johnny B. Dusty Baker. Big time deal tomorrow. That's going to be fantastic. When you texted us yesterday and said that you had locked that in, I know we had been going back and forth on whether we were finally going to get Dusty or not. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to this. I, As growing up a Reds fan before the Nats came to town and obviously what his career was with Cincinnati and then living in D.C., being a Nationals fan and following Dusty through his time with the Nationals and, and everything now with the Astros. I mean, this is, this is incredible. I'm really looking forward to it. All right, but I got a question for you guys. Okay, sure. and, and a question for all of you that are in the chat right now. And, and I really mean this. I want to hear your feedback because we've got some great, loyal viewers, listeners, watchers, everything. Uh, and uh, you guys threw it out uh, that if you had a question you'd like to ask, have me ask uh, to Dusty Baker. And we'll certainly get to a few of those tomorrow. But, but here's the deal. I got a question for you guys, and I really mean this. And, and please chime in on the chat. Um, you know, Dusty Baker is such a fascinating guy, and, and, and his career has spanned over 50-plus years, 55 years, going back to the time he signs as a player out of high school in Northern California. Okay, he's drafted by the Dodgers. He ends up going to the Braves, where now he is a teammate of Hank Aaron. And... You know, Dusty talks so frequently about the stories he would hear from Aaron. And then when he went to the Giants uh, and getting around Willie Mays and Willie McCovey and some of these guys uh, about the racism those guys endured. Dusty got to know Jackie Robinson quite well before he passed when he was out there with the Dodgers. Um, he had an incredible playing career. I mean, great player. He wasn't a good player. He was a great player. But now you march into his managerial career, okay? And you could spend 45 minutes tomorrow talking about the World Series that he lost. Uh, not he lost, but his team lost. The Giants uh, lost to the Angels. All right? Um, then you could talk about the National League Championship Series of 2003 with the Cubs, right? Leading three games to two. The Bartman incident down the left field line, giving up eight runs in the eighth inning of game six, losing game seven, right? You could talk about his tenure with the Reds. And most of you that watch this show um, are in and around greater Cincinnati. Uh, and then, of course, without a doubt, we talk about him finally winning the World Series and what that means to him. So you get the point I'm making. And that's just in a nutshell of all of these things. And you only have 45 minutes to ask Dusty Baker questions. 
what are the top three things that you would want to talk about after take away the World Series this year? Because that's without a doubt number one. But after that, what would they be? Uh I, I personally really want to know how he was able to handle so many different personalities through the years and what led him to becoming this player manager that he has become and everybody knows what he's been able to do in handling all these guys, these different players all through the years. So, some of these names that he's coached, Barry Bonds sticks out, how he was able to handle that, right? I mean, you think about being the manager for a Barry Bonds led yep. team and, yep. and Jeff Kent and all those guys think about all that talent that was back on those teams but not being able to win the big one and it wears you down so uh that would be top of my list um Casey I don't know if you have anything but before I before you answer okay. Casey you know a, a couple other things that and I appreciate our viewers pointing out I mean things like you know the toothpick right yeah he's got the thing going all the time he also will talk about, and I have to ask him this question because this is, this is right up there, not at the World Series, but as far as you know, history is concerned, uh, he allegedly is a guy that helped invent the high five. Yes. So, I mean, we're talking about a dude now that's had a lot going on for a long time, and we only have him for 45 minutes tomorrow, and he likes to talk. So there might only be, in those 45 minutes, 15 or 20 questions max that we can get into him with tomorrow. Casey? Uh, I mean, my one question would probably be how he's been able to just persevere for so long. Is it just because he hadn't won the big game? To me, I don't feel like once you get up there in age, you just start thinking about retirement. But the dude just signed a two-year deal to come back. He loves this game. I want to know what his drive is now at this point, now that he's won the big game. I mean, yeah, there's not much left to accomplish, right? I mean, what, what else does he have left to achieve? It's pointed out by our good friend um, that uh, Dusty Baker, and I knew this, but uh, some of you might be surprised. He was also a United States Marine. So, I mean, I'm telling you, this guy, th th this guy, when you look back in the history of sports, I don't care what sport, okay? This guy has done it all and seen it all on multiple levels that are, that, that, that are, that, that are way below just the surface stuff, Okay especially when you start getting into the racism stuff uh, and you start getting into uh, being an African-American manager uh, and some of the challenges, and they are no doubt unique um, than maybe some other guys out there. Um, the heartbreak of losing, uh, the heartbreak of losing friends. You get to be 75, 80 years old, and you guys know, you know, I mean, my mom passed away a long time ago, but all of a sudden, my dad, a lot of his friends now that he's 80, whether it's today, the 15th anniversary of losing Joe Nexall, right? Yes. 15 years ago today, we lost the best man I've ever met in Joe Nexall. Um, Joe Morgan. I mean, Dusty has had many of these guys that have passed away that all of us say, man, I wish I would have met that guy or that person and not just in sports i mean you know 
This is a guy who, you know, has rubbed elbows with some of the biggest stars in music, in acting, in politics, uh, whatever it might be. Interesting dude. Well, he's the best. He is the best. And reading all these articles over the last week or so since the Astros won the World Series, it's just been great. It's made you feel so good inside to see that finally, after all this time, he was finally able to win the World Series. And you think back to his time all the way back to when he started managing, and he's done everything except win the World Series. But even more importantly than that, Tom, and you said it with everything you said right there, so many things that he's done outside of baseball. I don't, I don't know how we're going to contain all of this to 45 minutes tomorrow. I, I, know, I know you'll do a good job with this one, Tom, because I know you've had such a good relationship with Dusty over the years, and I think that speaks to how willing he was to come on and do well, this Well, you know, tomorrow. I've had a weird relationship with Dusty Baker, and, and I've been frequently told this story. Um, Dusty and I have talked about it at length since it happened over different points in time. My broadcast partner in Chicago with the Cubs, when I got that job in 1990, my two broadcast partners on the radio were Ron Santo and Bob Brenly. Bob Brenly, born and raised Coshocton, Ohio guy, went to Ohio University. Uh, so I'd see him as a player when he was playing, and I was just getting into to TV. Uh, and he was always so kind and nice and so on and so forth. Uh, went on to play in the big leagues, was an all-star catcher for the Giants. Um, he was my partner with the Cubs. He left to go to work for Dusty Baker when Dusty became the manager of the San Francisco Giants. So Brenly left the booth to go into um, to go back into uniform. Then when he, he realized he, he didn't want to do that anymore, I was hired by Fox when Fox got the baseball rights and Joe Buck and Tim McCarver were going to be the number one team. I was going to be the play-by-play -play guy on the number two team, and we're looking for a color guy. And I said to the guys at Fox, best guy I've worked with is a guy named Bob Brindley. He's coaching for the Giants. We ended up hiring him. I was the director of broadcasting for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I helped us hire Bob Brindley. So he was my partner six days a week on the Diamondbacks, one day a week on the Fox Saturday game of the week. That goes on for three years. Bob Brindley is then named the manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks. We're playing the San Francisco Giants, we the Diamondbacks, because I'm their announcer. Opening day of the 2001 season. I go down into the clubhouse to see Dusty Baker in the Giants clubhouse, and I have had these meetings with Dusty Baker at this point in time now for at least 11, 12 years because he's been a manager all that time and I've been a broadcaster all that time. And all of a sudden, he's not really talking to me much about his team. I'd normally go in there and ask him, hey, you know, what do you think about this guy, this guy? What about hitting and running? What about stealing bases? Blah, 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 blah. And he's being very, very short. And I said, hey, what's going on here? He says, you know, he used to call me Junior. All those guys call me Junior. He says, Junior, look. He says, uh, you know, your boy is the manager of the Diamondbacks now. I said, my boy? I said, so let me get this straight. I said, and I looked him right in the eye in that office, I said, let me get this straight. I said, you mean to tell me you think there's a chance anything you tell me in this meeting right now that I'm going to walk to the other clubhouse 
and I'm going to go tell my guy, Bob Brindley, all the things you said about what your team might or might not do in a series or a game. He doesn't answer. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, if you feel that way, you and I are done. We're done. I said, because if I did that to you and it ever got out, then that means that I could not walk into any manager's office in baseball ever again, maybe even cross into football, and would have anybody ever trust me ever again. I left. I got a phone call up in the booth right before the game started. And it was Dusty Baker, and he said he was sorry. But for that hour and a half or two hours, I was so angry and so upset with him. And I've shared this with him. This isn't news to him. He knows all about it. Uh, he may, he's probably forgotten about it by now. It was a bigger deal to me than it was to him. But, uh, but from that moment forward, I had, a, I had a good relationship with him. From that moment forward, it became a much better relationship because we both sort of learned and grew from it. And again, you got to learn to forgive guys. People make mistakes, you know? Happens. Is Doc here yet? No, he's not. He's not. Okay. Well, we're waiting on him. He's been sent his thing. Yes. Reed Mouse pointing out in the chat about everything that Dusty Baker has done. You, you play with Hank Aaron, but you invent the high five. You manage Barry Bonds, Greg Maddox, Sammy Sosa, Bryce Harper, Joey Votto, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Jose Altuve, Jeff Kent. And that's just scratching the surface of the guys that he's managed. Yep. Look at the Astros roster this year and what that could potentially be down the road. We could be talking about that the same way in five or ten years. So, man, it, it, it like you said, it's just there's just so much to talk about it, tomorrow. Is his goal to maybe go back-to-back? -back? Is that why he signed another two years? I think we have to ask him that tomorrow. I mean, obviously, that's why every manager wants is to – repeat but how, how often does that happen in baseball not very repeating often. yeah is that uh, is there rare. very I, I hasn't happened in a while mistaken, the last team at the, the uh the yankees in yeah. uh what was that the diamondbacks beat them in 01 i think they had done it in 98 99 and 2000 i yeah. think am i right on that yeah so it's yeah. been almost over 20 years since something like that's happened. Yeah. And before that, you got to go back to the early 90s. Uh, the Blue Jays did it. And I think they were the first team to do it since the uh, Big Red Machine in the, in the mid-70s. Wow. If I'm not mistaken. So it's rare. It, 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 you know, it's, it's really rare in football. Uh, Bill Belichick um, certainly uh, rewrote that book. Uh, teams have gotten to the world. I mean, look at the Astros. Astros have been four in, times in the last six years. Yeah, for the last six, but and the one was marred by the cheating scandal. Now that's something you have to ask him about tomorrow. Is walking in that clubhouse, um, and look, they're the ones that did it. So it's not like you know you're going to feel sorry for anybody inside that clubhouse. I think they had three or four guys left from that team this year that were, and they were the big pieces of that team. Right. Yeah. The Bregmans of the world and those guys, right? Altuve. Yeah. That, uh, that were a big part of that whole thing. But to walk in and to try to make guys who are just humiliated. They got caught uh, and uh, they're humiliated everywhere they go. You know they're going to get booed. Um, they're, they're, there's going to be stuff screamed at them and hollered at them every single place they go. And how did Dusty handled that part of it um 
with his team and with some of those players and to try and get everybody back focused on, look, we're going to play baseball. We have a game today, starting in spring training. We have a game tonight. We have 162 of those games. We're going to have the playoffs. We're going to have all these kinds of things. And they've stayed um, razor sharp ever since Dusty took over that team. But that is tomorrow. That will be at 11.15 Eastern time tomorrow. Please share it with your friends, family, whatever, uh, that we're going to have Dusty Baker here tomorrow for 45 minutes from 11.15 Eastern until noon. Hell, if he wants to go longer than that, we got a show right after our show tomorrow. The guy's on tomorrow, box lunch. I have a feeling that Trace and Reed would be fine if you went a little longer with Dusty. Okay, well, we'll see. I I mean, you know, Dusty is flying back today. Um. He's been in Houston the whole time. They had the parade. He had to have a meeting with the owner uh, about whether he was coming back. Multiple meetings with the owner about whether he was coming back. The general manager is not coming back. When's the last time that had happened? A general manager wins a World Series and ass out. He's gone. He turned and got offered a one-year deal. Said, nope, we're not going to do it. Hmm. Still no doc. Nope, no, no doc. doc. All right, we're going to take a break. I'm going to shoot him a uh, message. Maybe I screwed up a time. Uh-oh. Um, what no, time? I said 11. He said tomorrow 11 works. Hmm. Uh. We'll uh, shoot him a text. Maybe he's in Hawaii or something. No, he's definitely not in Hawaii. Oh. No. California? Uh, Beachside in Santa Monica? Doc? I don't think so. He's not a California kind of guy. No? He is we'll a woodsy guy, though. What's that? He's a woodsy guy, though. He's a, yes, he is. He likes getting out there, and he goes on that hike a couple times a year with his son. We talked about that. Uh, parts, pieces of the Appalachian Trail. That's one thing I've always wanted to do. And before I get too old, I got I to gotta get out there and do it. All right. We're back in a moment. Uh, he is coming on right after this timeout. All right. Welcome back to Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. About 10 after 11. We love having him on a couple of times a week. You can read The Morning Line. The Morning Line at substack.substack. Dot com. Paul Doherty, uh, we have a lot of our viewers that are regulars wondering, where's the hat? And I notice you don't have it on again today. I will. I promise from now on I'll wear the hat. We'll be totally honest uh, here on television. Um, I forgot all about this. You had to text me to remind me. It's all my fault. I was deep in thought getting uh, finishing up on today's uh, morning line. Um so I don't have time to get the hat and my hair looks like crap and I'm on TV and, and life's not too good right now. But well, we'll, you'll we'll okay. be better right now. You're, you're, yeah, you're, yeah. Doing, you're, you're doing great. I mean, you know, look, you, you forgot about me. You remind me of my, li- my wife in many, many ways. Uh, so, you know, you got that going for you, if nothing else. Um, the yeah. morning line a couple of days ago. Look, and you pointed it out in, in, in the column. There are certain topics you can talk about in Cincinnati, and you will get people talking about them, whether they're all the way out in uh, Cleves or out, you know, past Harrison near the Indiana border, uh, as far east as you want to go, out to, to, to Goshen and Adams County and Brown County, wherever. And one of those topics is Pete Rose. This week, Pete Rose has for a second time, correct me if I'm wrong on that, has written a letter to the commissioner of baseball asking for forgiveness and asking for a chance to be reinstated at the minimum 
to be on the ballot for the Hall of Fame, and you think he should be given that chance? I, I yeah, I, I <laughs> and you and I are about the same age, Tom. Uh, I, I've been uh, writing this story. I wrote in the blog last week that it really is, for better or worse, it's, it's kind of been the story uh, of uh, of my career in Cincinnati because I got here in '88, and in '89 was was when he got banned. Um, and it's never gone away for lots of us, myself included. I, I do. After 33 years, the world is a different place, Tom. Uh, it's not the world we lived in in, in 1989. Um, gambling is in. Gambling is everywhere. Gambling is soon to be everywhere in Ohio, uh, including at the ballpark. If you want to place a bet, during a game, there, there will be a place you can do that, more than one place. Gambling advertising is all over ballpark walls. Um, it, it's a part of everyday life. Uh, that, that doesn't excuse what, what Pete did, but it brings context. There's also the notion, very real, that lots of players uh, cheated the game in other ways uh, since 1989. Um, obviously, obviously, Barry Bonds, we get down the list, Mark McGuire, Roger Clemens, on and on. Um, of course, not all of them have, have been proven to have cheated the game, but the perception exists. The Astros cheated the game in 2017. They won the World Series, as far as I know. They still have the trophy, and everybody from that team still has a ring. Um, after 33 years, given what we know about the world now, it's no longer noble what what uh, Rob Manfred is doing in keeping Pete uh, on the banished list. It, it's simply it's simply petty, and it really is time to move on. And 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 Pete has paid his dues, and people who pay their dues deserve to be rewarded for that. And and Pete belongs to be uh, re, uh it deserves to be reinstated to baseball all right well let me ask you this so i want to get into a couple of specifics and breaking up into pieces a little bit and i don't know where you stand on this part of it i have always felt that there is a difference between pete rose the player and pete rose the manager as far as we know and and look i you know look we could sit here and debate this from now till the end of time but as far as we know all of the activity in terms of gambling on baseball occurred while Pete Rose was the manager of a baseball team. He is being voted upon, if he gets that chance, to go into the Hall of Fame for what he did as a player. I've always felt that should have been some type of differentiation uh, during this argument from the very, very beginning. You buy into that or no? Somewhat. Uh, it's never been uh, proven or shown that, that Pete bet as a player. John Dowd will tell you that, that he had evidence that showed that Pete bet as a player. Logic would dictate uh, that, that Pete bet as a player. Well, I mean, why, why wouldn't he? Um, he bet as a manager and the same rules apply. But, but that said, you're right. There's no, there's no evidence that, that he that he bet on games as a player. Beyond that, though, Tom, if we're talking about influencing outcomes of ball games, I, I, I would suggest that, that Barry Bonds had as big or bigger an influence on, on ball games as Pete Rose did. Uh, I, I would suggest the same of, of Roger Clemens. I would suggest that when Bonds was at the plate 
or when Clemens was on the mound and, and they were facing people who were not chemically enhanced, that indeed, yeah, they, they had a, uh, an unfair impact on the outcome of, of every game in which they took part. Well, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, there, there's no question in any form or fashion that that's the truth. Um, and, and the way that Bonds and Clemens have the direct outcome or partly the direct outcome in games in which they played for 15, 20 solid seasons. Um, but look, Doc, you know, how do you react to the fan who might say, and maybe Rob Manfred feels the same way, at least he has up until this point, Bud Seeley did too, uh, that look, that's a rule. It's always been there. Nothing's changed. Society might change. People might change. Uh, the way we look at gambling as a business enterprise in baseball might change or football or any other sport, but that rule has never changed. You gamble on the game, lifetime banishment. Right. Yeah. And, and, and um, some murderers get paroled after 33 years. Well, you can take that to the bank. I said that before you came on. We literally have people who have raped children that have not spent. And that is not an exaggeration. Just look around every single day when you read about crime. And it's somebody who's committed 27 offenses more times than not. And they should have been in jail for a long, long time. Um, that, that's not debatable on this Pete thing. I, 30 plus years yeah like i said the, the the longer it goes now the more the world changes uh the less it looks noble and the more it looks petty uh and, and right now it looks pretty petty do you think there's any chance manford goes for this or do you think that he no. has people no. well, well, well let me ask you this okay go ahead and answer that first part no i just uh, i if Knowing what I think I know about the guy and, and reading about him and watching him over the years, uh, he doesn't seem to be the kind of guy that, that uh, would admit that, you know, maybe you know, we need to change our stance on this. I, I just don't think he, he's that kind of guy. So, no, I, I don't think I don't think anything's going to come with this latest uh, appeal by Pete. Do you, don't you think, though, Doc, when you look at Rob Manfred, OK, now, 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 look, we can all sit here and say that we wish it wasn't the case. But it, but it is the case, okay? Major League Baseball, and Rob Manfred in particular, has a major PR problem, okay? The mm -hmm. game is losing viewers. The sport is slow. It's boring. Young people aren't watching the sport. You're worried about the future growth. We don't know if every single one of these local television entities that used to be owned by Fox, now under Bally's, is even going to be in business in a year from now. There's a lot of bad going on here. There's some good but there's a lot of bad. There's not a lot of good in terms of public perception about Rob Manfred. Don't you think there are three or four people around him up there on Park Avenue, Madison Avenue in New York that say, you know what, Rob? I'm guessing like 90-something percent of the baseball fans out there would think this is a good move, and you'd be the guy who'd get credit for making this happen. I suppose I, I tend to believe that, that that the people on Park Avenue don't spend a lot of time, if any, thinking at all about Pete Rose. Maybe they are now because of this new letter, but um, I just think that they wish he would go away, and, and maybe by maybe by reinstating him, he you know at least the uh, the argument would go away, but. I don't think that plays a big part in, in, in his decision. He's got lots of things that are 
are a lot more important to deal with. That's way down on his list. I, I just think it would be a, a feather in the guy's cap. I, I really do. I, I think it would. I think it would. Uh, it would improve the perception of Rob Manfred. And I'm not saying this is why he should do it, but I think making the move would improve his perception. All right, I want to shift gears real quick. We talked about Dusty Baker last week. Don't know if you heard. He's coming on the program tomorrow um, for okay. about, 50, about 50 minutes tomorrow. Uh, every Wednesday we do what's called the big interview, uh, and we've had some big-name guys, um, and, and we've had Hall of Fame guys. Dusty will be a Hall of Famer as a manager. But, you know, I was sitting there asking the guys, and I'm curious for your input on this because you've been around him, you've talked to him a lot, you've interviewed him for your work, you've spent time with him, you know, just, just, just BSing about whatever, music, life. Um, when, when you look at his career and whether it was the racism stuff with the minor leagues, spending time around guys like Jackie Robinson and Hank Aaron and, and some of the old Negro League players and all those guys that he got to know so well, he was a great player, as we know. Great player. Uh, he, 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 he managed a team in the Giants that lost in the World Series. He managed a team in the Cubs that had the, 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 the incredible 03 NLCS. Uh, the, the time he spent here in Cincinnati and getting fired and now culminating with finally winning a World Series as a manager. What, what topic? Let's take away the World Series that year because that's, that's topic number one. As a fan, what would you like to hear him talk most about on the other topics outside of that? Anything stand out for you? Away from the game? Well, I know it could be about the game, but I mean, you know, if you only have him for 45 or 50 minutes, I can't cover yeah. every single one of these topics. You just can't do it. Is there something that, yeah. that after him winning the World Series uh, and, and, and finally achieving something that, that has eluded him, uh, for the better part of 30-plus years as a major league manager. What do you think is next that we should ask him about? I don't know. I'd be interested in, in, in knowing what he felt uh, that he has added to the game. Uh, what, what does he consider his legacy? What, what are three albums that he would take with him to the, to the desert island? And, and um, what... Uh, what what pairs best with the red wine that he's grown the grapes for over the last decade or so? What three albums you taken? Uh, that's a hell of a question. I should have had an answer ready since I prosed it myself. Um, Exile on Main Street, Rolling Stones' Masterpiece, Um Eat a peach, Almond Brothers. I could listen to Blue yep. Sky every yep. day, five times a day, never get tired of it. Um, I don't know, man. I, what's what's the third one? I, I'll think of it as soon as we're done here. I figured you would have something Springsteen-esque in there. Abbey Road. Abbey Road. Okay, Abbey Road. By the way, I, I couldn't believe you took a shot at James Taylor the other day. <laughs> I didn't really take a shot you at him. You took a shot at him. You took a shot at him. And, I mean, this guy, come on. Come on. I said, I th I said he was, thought he was okay and, and had the vocal range of a flea. Did I say that? <laughs> I don't know if you said that. But, I, mean, <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it when I read you took a shot at James Taylor. I mean, what's better no, music right. than James Taylor sitting around a, a fire pit me and a lot of buddies of mine love sitting out by the fire pit and, 
and 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 listen to some tunes and yeah. you know having yeah. a cigar, a few beers under the stars. I could think of about five hundred artists I'd rather listen <laughs> to around a fire. James Taylor. Okay. All right. Sorry. Sorry. All right. All right, Doc. Thanks for your time, my man. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, man. Sorry about the hair. I'll do better next time. I apologize for mine every day. Don't worry about it. It's all right. At least we all still right. got it. Still got a little bit. He's got more of it than I do, though. Mine's falling right. out and turning white. He's got a full head of hair, and it's still brown. My mother-in-law says something like that to me the other day. She says, so your, your hair really, really. I, I said, I, I said, look, it's still there. Or at least, except for the divot in the back. Hope you guys don't get the divot one day. Well, let's just hope that day never comes, Tom. <laughs> Believe me, it's coming. <laughs> All right. Best 30 minutes in television is right around the corner. Uh, I'm assuming he's still down there in Florida. I don't know, though. We're about to find out with a tracer. We'll take a break. Tracy Jones right around the corner on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. All right, we are back on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. And um, I don't know if he's at a Red Roof Inn. Uh, I don't know if he's still in Florida. We're about to find out. We welcome in, as we do every Tuesday and Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. We call it the best 30 minutes of television anywhere on the planet. Tracer, good morning. Where are you? Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Ham and Eggers. Um, I'm still in Florida. I have one more week. Hey, Casey, before I forget, and, and I, I got to touch on this because my wife reminded me, uh, I really want to get you a gift for your wedding. What dollar store are you registered at? Um, I, I, I actually have not done any registry business yet. I need to. Okay. I need to get on it. Need to get on. But it is I a go. dollar store, right? Dollar store. It might be Dollar yeah. General. I don't know. Maybe it. Maybe well, just it's let me dollar know, tree. You, please. Yeah, I'll yeah. let you know. Walmart. Walmart. Tracer, what? I mean, what kind of money would a guy like you go in and spend? What? Let me back up. Are you suggesting there's something you know off about the dollar store? No, my dad used to say, and you guys might want to write this down. If the shoe fits, wear it. I mean, <laughs> you are what you are. Write that one down. I, I would, I would, I could probably actually buy that store if you really, everything in it, if I really wanted to. But you just let me know, Case, and I'll get you a, a nice gift. I'm serious. Hey, you, and you were also serious when you and I were going back and forth a little bit. You had some questions about his actual wedding, the wedding itself, which June, is that right, Casey? Yes, June 3rd. June 3rd. You had a question or two, if I'm not mistaken, Tracer, about yes. the wedding itself. Well, when I get my invite, I want to know what it's all about. What are we having to eat? And most importantly, is it an open bar? Go uh, ahead, Kay. So, so I, I do think that it is an open bar. It's been so long since I've done this. I got to double check and find out. But I think it's an open bar. And I think we're having... I think we're having some sort of chicken and uh, I want to say like potatoes and green beans and things of that nature. Just your normal like chicken parmesan meal, something like that. 
Are you actively involved in this, by the way, Casey? I, I am. We just decided on this so long ago, and we haven't even done the taste testing yet. So it might not even be chicken. We might end up doing something else okay. entirely. But Grace, do you have any suggestions? Uh, yeah. Because, you know, I, you've I you've they, had a chance to do this twice now. So perhaps you have some expertise <laughs> on the topic. If we keep going at this rate, it'll be a third time. Um, just, just the whole open bar case, I think, is a huge mistake. And I don't know if you're going to have top shelf. If you do, just get some Smirnoff. The people that you're inviting, I'm sure, can't tell the difference between Grey Goose and Smirnoff vodka. So just that's a huge expense. What happens, and this happened to me, is people don't drink their entire drink. So you get charged for every drink. Is that right, Tom? So that is exactly right. I, yeah, I, I, serious note, just do the beer and wine. If they don't like it, then to hell with them. That's a good point. I'll, I'll follow that advice if um, it's too expensive. But um, I think when we looked at it, I mean, the, the price difference, we just thought, like, why not just make it an open bar at that point? Because I think the, uh, the actual venue itself, they don't supply any of that stuff. It's all coming from one caterer. All the food and all the drinks and the bar and the music and whatnot is coming from one place. And if you put it all together in, in the, their package, it makes more sense to have an open bar. But I'll, I'll double check to make sure that's the case. Okay. And here's another suggestion. For the people that are coming to this, how about just potluck? What about something like that? <laughs> a potluck? Yeah, I, bring a dish. <laughs> what would you bring, Tracy? I would bring liver and onions. Yes, love it. Mm. Love it. Yeah, and maybe as an appetizer for your group, onion dip. <laughs> onion dip. I like that. Love onion dip. Yeah. And you know what? The world can become more refined and more uppity and all those kinds of things in that crowd that Tracy runs with, not necessarily the crowd that you guys yes. and I run with. But, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, inevitably we all show up somewhere, Okay where they have the old ruffles or whatever potato chips, right? Yeah. And they've got that old school dip like you used to have when we were kids. And man, yep. when you bite into that, it is still lights out. I love onion dip. I mean, all kidding aside, I, my mom used to make that for me every single Christmas when I would come in she said, listen, Trace, I have your onion dip. And it's not a big deal. You know, you just have the the, the onion dip mix, right? With the right. sour cream. And it's good to go. Very simple, but I like it. I like it. All so right, I want to shift Maybe some gears. of those weenies. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing I, I another uh, time-tested are uh, pigs in a blanket. Ooh, yes. I like that too. When they're made well, doesn't get yeah. any better than that. Um, I want to circle back to something. We had Paul Doherty on a little while ago, Trace, and <clears throat> excuse me, he wrote in the morning line uh, a couple of days ago uh, about now this letter written by Pete Rose. Mm -hmm. You were a guy who, when you came to the major leagues, he was the manager. Your first manager in the major leagues was Pete Rose. He's a guy that, that said to you, uh, you're, you're on the team. He's a guy that came to you and said, hey, you're playing so well. Starting tomorrow, you're my starting right fielder every single day moving Very forward. Good. You, you played true. for Very him, good. okay? So you know him in that regard? 
and then you know him uh, since as you've gotten to know him through the years and what has been um, basically a lifetime banishment up until this point in time uh, from being considered for Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame. What was your reaction and what do you think happens with this letter Pete has now sent to the Commissioner of Baseball, Rob Manfred? Tom, I am really rooting for Pete to get in the Hall of Fame and to be reinstated in the game of baseball. Pete is now 81 years old, and to me, Pete doesn't look healthy, and I've heard he's had some health issues. I want to see him get in the Hall of Fame, and it's just its too bad that he didn't admit to betting on baseball because he'd be back in the game. I love Pete Rose, and for me to sit here and, and badmouth him or say this or say that, I got a lot of respect for Pete Rose. He gave me the opportunity to play in the big leagues. You know what's really crazy about a guy like Pete Rose is just how much how much presence he has when he walks into a room. It's really kind of crazy. You know, he's a guy like uh, a Donald Trump, uh, myself, Elvis. I mean, when you walk into the room, it just kind of gets smaller and just the charisma. It was, it was really interesting to be around Pete Rose and just see how the world really revolves around him. I mean, he is like an Elvis, like a Trump. Uh, I just think he really wants to be reinstated in baseball so he can go in the Hall of Fame. And I just don't think that's going to happen. So you, you, you think this is going to fall again on deaf ears up uh, on Park Avenue at the MLB offices? I do. I do. Let, let me tell you something. You know, Pete was really good to me, and Pete really liked me. And Davey Concepcion used to say that Pete Rose liked me more than he liked Davey and Tony. He used to kid around because Pete always played. He liked certain people. I tried to play like Pete, hustling, all that stuff. And Pete really liked me. And I'll, I'll give you an example of that. And I've never told this story. When I was in Detroit, uh, just getting ready for a game, I got a telegram, a Western Union telegram, okay? It was right out, you guys, Ham and Eggers don't know, that was after the Pony Express. So I got this Western Union telegram, I open it up, and it said, I was watching your game last night, you're pressing way too hard, think up the middle. Good luck, Pete. Two days later, he went into prison for tax evasion. I was sitting in there reading that telegram, and I wasn't showing it to anyone, but do you remember Mike Heath, the catcher? Of course. Played like 10, 12. Yep. Mike Heath was my locker mate, and he saw it, and he called everyone over to show the guys that I got this telegram from Pete Rose wishing me well. And I thought it, that... It, I mean, how <laughs> that's pretty touching. I start getting goosebumps just thinking about it. And the guys like Jack Morris and Alan Trammell and those guys could not believe that Pete would take the time out. Pete can be a little selfish. And to have a telegram and, and send it to Detroit. You know, I'll never forget that. And that was super neat. One of, the, one, of the, one of the actual highlights of my career. Not that I had that many highlights, but that was certainly big. So for me to badmouth Pete and tell you stuff that I know, uh, I'm not going to do it. That, that's an amazing story. Uh, especially when you think about all the things that had to have been on his mind, knowing right. 
that he's going to be sent to prison. Um, right. what, what was it like, Tracy, uh, from a player standpoint? I was just breaking into television at the time uh, at Channel 5, and, and, and I was uh, asked to cover that story uh, down in spring training uh, when everything went down, uh, knowing the investigation was going on, that Pete might get suspended. What was that like day in and day out being around that in spring training of that year? Well, I wasn't there, Tom. I was trained. Oh, that's right. That's right. I, I beg your pardon. That's right. I yeah, forgot. But, I but forgot. I can speak to it. I can speak to it. Let's trade it for the 16th time in three years. So I was with the Giants at the time. Here's another story I've never told. Boy, I'm telling you stuff, Tom, I've never talked about. Good. That's why we have you on let's the program, it. Trace. Uh, so I'm sitting in the locker room. I'm now playing for the Giants. And we're down in, in Phoenix. I think it's Phoenix. And someone, the clubhouse guy goes, hey, USA Today wants to talk to you. Do you remember Rod Beaton? Of course I do. Yes, Rod yes. Yep, yep. I love Rod Beaton. Yeah, great guy. Uh, I think he's passed away, but he was a really yes, good Yes, he was writer. a great guy. Yes. And so I get on the phone with Rod and he says, listen, sources tell me that you know a lot more about this stuff than, you know, than most people know. He says, what do you know about Pete betting on baseball? And I go, Rod, I'm not going to say a single word. I'm going to say something that, that the saying that I came up with, and people have coined that phrase, what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. Have you guys ever heard that before? I assume yeah. he's asking the ham and eggers over there. Yeah, we've heard of that yes. before. But yes, I was not going to tell Rod what was happening and what I knew of, of something. Because there was some little, there was some things. There were a lot of people coming and going in that locker room. You know that, Tom, right? Yes, I do. I mean, and, and, to, and to be brutally honest with you, a lot of those guys I really like. I like Paul Jansen. I talked to Paul a couple months ago. I like Tommy Giosa. Yep. I like Tommy. And I like Fat Mike Bertolini. Yep. I mean, those are the three guys, right? Yep. So I'm not going to badmouth those guys because what would happen is they would go to Pete's office and then over to my locker to BS with me. I mean, so... But there were a lot of people coming and going in that locker. And I don't, I asked someone a couple months ago, do you think Pete bet against this? And he said, absolutely not. It was just someone that would know some things. And so that makes me feel a lot better. And I don't think Pete bet against us. Um, I, I threw this out to Doc and, and he wasn't buying it. I'm curious to get your, your uh, take on this. Look. Rob Manford is not a well-liked guy. No. By, by no. a lot of baseball fans. Whether that's fair or not fair, that's not for me to judge. But I think it's a safe assumption to, to make that statement. Major League mm -hmm. Baseball, and we've talked about it, uh, you and I may disagree on some of the things they're going to do in terms of changes to the game. That's fine. But we cannot disagree on the fact that baseball is losing the young people in many, many ways to watching the sport and watching the games. That we know. Why wouldn't, at this point, what's the downside at this point for Rob Manfred not to say, hey, you know, the image of the game could use a little tidying up. My image yeah. could certainly use a little tidying up. Uh -oh, what's the downside now. of allowing Pete's name to be put on the Hall of Fame ballot 
and let those that vote make the decision on whether or not he should go in. What's the downside for Rob Manfred? No downside. No downside. I think that's a great suggestion. You know, Tom, back in a few years ago, remember it was the old timers that were really out. Well, I was going to get to that in a second. I was going to get to that with you in a But go ahead, please. Yeah, I mean, there were some guys that wanted to keep Pete out. I just see no downside of, of, of not putting Pete on the ballot. I mean, think about it. Everybody would be talking about it. And I think that's what you want with baseball, especially after the World Series was pretty good. To get Pete on that ballot, it would, I think it would be so nice for baseball. I, I would love it. Did you ever run into any of the old timers? Because I, I remember, Tracy, you know, uh, everything went down in, uh, in 89. I was announcing the Reds games on television at the time with Johnny mm -hmm. Bench. Johnny yes. Bench in July of 89 was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame with Harry Carey and Carl Yastrzemski. I was there in Cooperstown covering that for Channel 5. Um, and, you know, Johnny and Pete had their issues. But, I mean, I heard it then. And I've heard it a million times since. And I thought a lot of you guys that were former players stick together. This Pete Rose saying, there's a lot of old timers that don't want him in there. Well, give, give me some names because I know Bob Feller was pretty strong and Johnny, right? But guys like Mike Schmidt was all for Pete getting in the yes, Hall of Fame. Yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. was, I think Joe kind of flip-flopped a little bit, right? Well, I, I think, think Joe Joe's, felt like enough was enough. Yeah, I just, I don't know of that many old timers, but, but they didn't want Pete in there at all. They didn't want Pete. Absolutely not. And I just, I think it's time to turn the page. I really, really do. 81 years old. I mean, is he going to get in when he passes away? I mean, that, that's what Pete thinks. I, I'm sure that's what he thinks. But I, I, I just, I'd like to see him on the ballot, but I don't think it's going to happen, Tom. And it's sad. It is sad. I mean, 30 years plus is, is, is long enough. I mean, I, I, I've said it twice on the show already. You've got people walking the streets right now, for all I know, right down here in, in Hamilton, God forbid, that, uh, that did a lot worse than that. And they're cruising around free as a bird. Um, what, was the, what was the deal? Sorry for interrupting, but what was the deal with Pete and Johnny? How did that start? What was the bad blood there? Well, you because know, even... I, I always thought, and, and I've told this story on the air before. Um, I've always thought at the end of the day, and, and it, this isn't like, you know, I'm some deep thinker on this. There will be people that have been saying this going back to when they were playing. Pete Rose was a born and raised Cincinnati guy. And Cincinnati, like a lot of cities, very provincial place. We love our own. He was always going to be the guy. And he, no, no, no matter what Bench did, people were still going to talk about Pete. And I think that went on during Johnny's entire career, even though on many levels, in fact, most levels, uh, Bench would have been um, the guy that you would want most, uh, you know, that, that it seems to me, he, he spent his whole career with the Reds, Pete did not, okay? He did so much in the community, uh, Bench did and still does. Uh, Bench, uh, you know, look, he might have been married and divorced four or five or six times. I don't care about any of that. But off right, the field right. was a model citizen here in the town. So I think there was some jealousy there. 
um, going all the way back to when they were players. Uh, and then I was, uh, you know, I, I told the story. I, I was doing the games with Johnny in, uh, in 89, and we were in Pittsburgh, and the game was over. We had just finished doing the game. And our producer director, Roy Alfers, is driving the car, and Jesse Jackson's up front, and me, not the Reverend Jesse Jackson, the unreverend Jesse Jackson. <laughs> and in the back yeah, seat, it's me, and, um, it's me and Johnny. And Johnny says, hey, Roy, drop me off at KDKA. I'm going on Ted Koppel tonight. Back when Ted Koppel came on at 1130, yeah. most watched show, news show there was in the country, right? Long before Fox News and all that stuff. And Johnny goes on. I get back to my room, turn it on, and he rips into Pete on national TV, and that's where it all hit the fan. Did you say something after that interview to, to Johnny, or did you? Did you I, I couldn't even. I, you know what, uh, Tracy? I was so young, and I was so uh, still, you know, trying to find my way in my career, and and I was so much younger than those guys. Uh, I thought about it all the time. Um, the next day, when I announced a game with him. Um, and, and I just never got around to doing it just because I, I felt like I, I, I've got to get along with Johnny Bench here. He's, tr he's really helping me try to navigate my career. I can't show up and have the guy all bent out of shape. At no. Me. You know what I'm saying? No. No. And Johnny, and, and Johnny was really fond of me, too. Johnny was really good to me. Yes. Uh, I, I'll tell you, he was really good to me and very complimentary. There was a time in Atlanta that Johnny called me on the phone. He says, hey, I was struggling a little bit. He says, Trace, you got two minutes? I says, yeah. I says, can I, he says, can I come up to your room? I says, yeah, come on up, Johnny. So Johnny comes up. The first thing out of his mouth is, don't tell Pete I'm up here. <laughs> he says, you're doing something wrong with your back foot. He says, your back foot is angled toward the catcher. He says, you've got to turn your back foot in to release your back hips. Kind of a technical thing here, but it's great advice because my foot started creeping and pointing to the catcher. So that won't let your back hips release. So so Johnny tells me that. I end up going, you know, getting three hits the next game. I'd have probably reverted back to pointing it toward the catcher. I was I didn't listen very well. I was very hard headed. But as he was leaving, he says, Remember, don't tell Pete I was up here. Yeah, well, I thought that was kind of weird. But yeah. you know, Pete Johnny knows a lot about baseball. I think he would have been a great manager, Johnny Bench. I, I do too. I, him and Joe Morgan both. Um, yes. All right, before I let you go, I got to shift gears here on one thing. I think about you every time now. I'm watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because all of a sudden, you know, Giselle's got her guy. Some martial arts dude that I guess she's running around Costa Rica with. Already? That's what yep. I, I, I saw. So Already. I didn't want to read about it because I'm not into that whole thing. But I just saw the, the headline of some article. Um, Brady all of a sudden, you know, he's got a couple of wins under his belt. He's changing out his profile. Another headline <laughs> I saw on Twitter. Um he might have the mojo back, Trace. Yeah, he's probably over there on Del Mabry going to Mons Venus or Space Odyssey. <laughs> that Giselle, what a biatch. Is she not? She's already messing around with that Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. Hard to believe. And, and let me clarify something because I'm reading this whole thing with the SBF and, and FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange. Yeah, yeah. And they were heavily invested in that. Giselle 
and Tom. Yes. He didn't lose $650 million. That's, that's way over. They didn't have that kind of money. They had a lot of money, but I read an article in Forbes where they said about $50 million. So, but still, that's going to affect their lifestyle. That's a big drop. But I keep seeing 650. Do you not see that number? And I think uh, that's way over. Yeah, there, there's no way. You're right. I mean, they, they, they had big money, but, but they don't have that kind of money. No, uh, no. They, no, no. There are very few people. Only owners of NFL teams and stuff like that or the Wall Street guys or whatever it might be have that kind of money. But um, he looks like he's got it together here. Well, he doesn't have that. Uh, what, the, the the sperm backup, backup, what is that again, boys? Uh, FSB, I, I think you said, was the acronym for Fatal F-S-B. Sperm Backup. Yep, he's feeling a lot looser now. You ever know he's got his mojo back. He does. He looks a lot less tense. Looks more relaxed. Kind of like you, Tommy. I mean, he was over there in Germany, Trace. Can you imagine being Tom Brady in Germany? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of German women. I dated one one time. They you don't, did? They're very, they're very unkept, if you know what I mean. You know, the hair under their arms and things like that. It's just, it was disgusting. Disgusting. Trace, you've got some kind of thing against Europeans. I mean, the couple you were down there in Florida with, uh, German women, um, you and I talked about the French and the election, right. the way they run their election. I mean, you know, have you spent much time in Europe? I've spent a little time in Europe. I have. Um, I, I like Australian women. I dated an Australian woman. Uh, How I did you date an Australian woman? Was she in the United States, you're saying, came yeah, over from Australia? Okay. She was at Loyola Marymount. We, we dated briefly. Uh, really a, a different type of girl, worked in a library, wore glasses, really the nerdy type. Uh, very interesting. I tried to fit in too. I started wearing glasses, you know, because she <laughs> thought that was the type she liked. Went to the library all the time. First time actually in the library. It just didn't work out, Tom. I was trying to be something that I wasn't. I'm used to dating homecoming queens and to date this little nerdy girl, uh, it just didn't. It just didn't pan out. From Australia, guys. Any comments? Any questions for the tracer here? Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I. You left us speechless, Tracy. Yeah. How do you feel about it's Asian just another Thursday? What? How do you feel about the Asian feel- culture? You know, I dated an Asian girl. Her name was Young Z. She was. Very attractive. And what I liked about her was her butt. It was like a frying pan. Very nice. <laughs> Don't you like butts that are like frying pans? Casey, you want to open up any other can of worms here? Is there anything else you'd like Casey, to do? Casey, what? <laughs> what? Why? Casey, what was that? What, what's a... Where why, did that, why do you like frying pans? That, why is that something well, that, that you like? I just like the shape. Well, most guys like a bubble butt. I like them flat. Huh. Never heard it put it that way before. Paul, do you have anything you like I got nothing. this conversation? Tom, I got with? nothing. I got nothing, Tom. How do you have nothing? I. How do you have nothing? I at least had one thing to ask him. Come on, you can't ask him anything? 
wasting this poor man's you time? You want to ask him about with a wedding? You want to ask him about uh, anything? Oh, actually, you know what, Tracy? I will take a little advice. Uh, oh, this is a big one. This is right, a big sorry. one. Tracy, this is bad. Really bad. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, this I, I got a serious problem on my serious hands, Tracy. Serious problem. So in our last commercial break, uh, I found out that I got – I don't know if you've seen anything about the Taylor Swift concert ordeal with everything going on right now with Taylor Swift, but her t yeah. concert her concert tickets went on sale at 10 a.m. this morning. Well, uh, between my girlfriend and I, I was the one that got the pre-sale email, and I got, I got the email, but I didn't get – I didn't check my email to see it, and last night when I got the text that had the pre-sale link in it, it was just a bunch of characters with the link. It was a weird-looking link, so I figured it was spam, and I just deleted it. And I texted her this morning, or, or like 20 minutes ago, and I said, hey, uh, sorry, but I actually was the one that got the link. So do you oh, got any geez. advice on how to get out of this? Did this Tracy, this, this is, is bad. bad, Tracy. This is really bad. Uh, you need to contact Jeff McDonald at 333 seat and you better fork out the money and pay up big because you can't scroll. I'm taught you, you had a chance to pick up tickets, right? Before anyone else had a I chance. Mean, I did that with Garth Brooks. Yo, you were at Garth Brooks? That was the best concert I've ever been to. Which one? Were you at the Friday one or the Saturday I, I, one? I've actually been to four of them and I was actually in Las Vegas at a special suite with Mark Bedane, who was the president of the Raiders. Not to name drop, but yes. Did you? Are you going to his Vegas residency We're next year? We're getting away from the question. Well, I, I know. That's, that's true. That's, <laughs> We're getting that's true. away from the advice. That's, all right. Help. He is in deep, deep hole here, Tracer. How do you bail well, him out? You've been in this spot hundreds, if not yeah. thousands of times. Yeah, you got you to gotta fork out the bucks and get her – Get two seats. It's just you and your girlfriend, right? Yeah, it's just but me and her. But you're gonna have to pay up on this. But just, just do it. Just do it. Well, Let's no, I'm not. I'm not afraid of the money. I'm afraid of just it being sold out, and not getting seats. Because I'm so far back. So I mean, believe I'm, me, you can still, you can still get a ticket. You're just gonna have to pay more money. There are people right. out that that will sell tickets, right, Tom? There's, no, I mean, you get a ticket to anything. Now, yeah, whether or not you can afford to buy the ticket is a different ballgame. But he's right. Yeah, the, you can get a yeah. ticket. But unfortunately for you, uh, you really screwed this up. I know I did. Paul, wait a minute. Paul, I have a suggestion. Okay. So you got to flip it now, okay? You need to send yourself some roses, okay? Switch it on her. Make it like you might have another girl and you're taking her to the concert, okay? Send yourself <laughs> some roses. Make her jealous. Flip it on her. There we go. I'm sure that would go over real well <laughs> if I'm not in a big enough hole already. Well, if remember, I told you you could do something else. Now, if you really feel desperate, right, Tom? You go ahead and get some lingerie from Victoria's Secret. Throw that bra, which my suggestion would be a double D, in the back of your car. And then just somehow she'll find it. She'll really come running to you, Bali. <laughs> That's the best I can do, Tom. <sighs> well, hopefully by Tuesday we got a resolution here. Or Thursday. Sorry, today is you're, Tuesday. You're, you're, Paul. I don't uh, know. You, you got some problems here. I know uh, I It's going to be a long couple <laughs> weeks. You got some big time problems. You may as well be married at this point. Oh. You're just like the rest of us. Yeah. You're just like the oh, rest boy. of us. <laughs> Tracer, have a great rest of your time down in Florida. We'll catch up with you again on Thursday. We thank you for your time and all of your insight today.
on All right. weddings, See you, boys. Have a good the whole nine yards. The Tracer, Tracy Jones. Always great. Have, I mean, there, there you go, fellas. You have advice, uh, Casey, about – I thought that was great advice about the bar. Yeah. But you said, you know, it all works out that maybe you can still have an open bar. That's fine. And, Paul, I mean, I'll, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know. I felt so bad when I, when I realized in that last commercial break when I texted her and she thought that I meant that I was on the wait list, but I actually was on the pre-sale list. And she texted me back and she just said, Paul, with a bunch of periods afterwards. Oh, oh. one word. It's a, it's a, it was a dagger. It was a dagger to the soul. The real spirit cat says, sorry, Paul, you're kind of screwed unless you drop the coin. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Multiple issues, says Alex. Oh, Ticketmaster is a... Now, I can only tell you this. The only thing, the only guy who's in a worse spot, and I can promise you somebody is going through this somewhere today in greater Cincinnati that was on that list, that did the same thing you did, but it's their daughter oh, that yeah. wants to go to the show. Mm. Now, that's the guy who's really hurting right now. And he's somewhere out there. I hope it's not you. I don't hope it's anybody. But I'm the kind of guy that would have done that. Do you have something you're not telling us, Tom? No. I mean, I've gone. I've, I've gone uh, we took our daughter when she was very young. Um, we took her to see Taylor Swift in Columbus fantastic show people can say whatever they want to say like taylor swift don't like taylor swift like her music don't like her music. she is a phenomenal entertainer and she's a kind of concert that you can take your 10 year old daughter or you can take your 15 year old daughter and you can go there and it's good clean fun and there's very little of that left anymore do we have a Cherry on top presented by United Dairy Farmers today. We do. A quick, fun one. This is Taylor Heineke from the plane ride. Oh, home I love last this night. guy. Isn't this? I love this guy. Yeah, throw this up here, Casey. Right, let's see it. Bush light. Oh, big party, party. And the ice on his neck. Man, he's looking like 1 p.m. Kirk Cousins. Uh, guy's great. a gamer yeah. great gamer. gamer gamer i mean you know every year they want to give a job to somebody else and now heineke comes in and off they go would love to see the commanders because i'm a huge ron rivera guy i love ron rivera he is an awesome guy and i'm hoping the commanders formerly known as the wizards I was going to say, do we give them the respect that they deserve and yes. call them the commanders, at least for this week? When they knock off the undefeated, only unbeaten team in the National Football League, yes, they are the Washington Commanders under the stewardship of Paul Fritzner's good friend, Daniel Snow. Oh, that is an insult. That is a – that – oh, you're just beating me while I'm down. What a terrible insult. By the way, uh, Tracy Jones brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech, the path to innovation 
begins here. All right, tomorrow, we'll have Marty Brenneman on. So we have uh, two, well, one Hall of Famer, one soon-to-be Hall of Famer. Uh, we have Marty Brenneman on at 10-15. Um, we'll get his reaction to the whole Pete Rose thing. He and he and Pete have been close for a long time. They talk all the time um, and have forever, going back to 1974. They've stayed very, very close. Um, and then, of course, at 11.15 tomorrow, Dusty Baker will be the big interview right here. So, gentlemen, thank you very much, as always. Thank all of you for, for chiming in and for joining us here today. We invite you to join us for Dusty, Johnny B. Dusty Baker tomorrow at 11.15. We will be on at 10 o'clock. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day.